When it says there'll be breakthrough, it's talking about that people put their hope and trust in Jesus. If you put your hope and trust in Jesus, your life is not out of control. The world is not out of control. It's under God's redemptive control. I love that passage in Romans 8. It says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and seek him. When you love him and seek him, your life is under his redemptive control. Father, uh, lots of moving parts these days. Lots of highs and lows. And yet you promise that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And you're not just with us, but you are busy transforming us. You're causing breakthroughs to happen. And I pray that that would happen this morning. That where we need breakthrough with your presence and your power, that it would come through. Because we put our hope and trust in you and you alone. Thank you that you are working within us. And we pray for your redemptive control. Uh, to take place in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated in Mark chapter eight, Jesus and disciples went through the, through the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others say one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? We are about to embark on that very question. Who do you say that I am? We're going to be looking at the book of Mark until until, it'll take us up through Easter. And Mark is an amazing book. It's written by John Mark. He was a great friend of Peter's. We just spent the last decade going through 1 Peter. (laughs) And uh, he is a great friend of his. And one of the things we're going to look at in all of the book of Mark, Mark only makes one statement about what he thinks, and the rest is all about his taking eyewitness accounts of what Peter had, had in, uh, engaged with Jesus. And there, the book of Mark is basically divided into two parts. You can divide it into subparts as well. But it's divided into two parts, one part being, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? Who is he? And then, why did Jesus come? And we're going to be asking that question, who do you say that I am? It doesn't matter what other people say. The the bottom line is, who do you say that I am? So instead, there's no genealogy because Mark was writing to the Romans. They didn't give a rip about Jesus' Jewish heritage. His focus is on the character of Jesus. They wanted to know about Jesus. They wanted to understand how he had such power to be able to do about, bring about all the miracles that he did and the amazing uh, sayings that Jesus, uh, the talks that Jesus gave. Um, so the book of Mark takes us on a pilgrimage that Jesus teaches his first disciples. And uh, we're going to be looking through the book of Mark and we'll give you uh, some uh, possible assignments. But even if you read through the book of Mark, just one chapter a day, that would be a great way to start and looking at the very first part of who did Jesus, who do, who do you say that I am? Who was Jesus? We're going to keep asking you to spend as much, if not more, time reading God's Word than you spend in social media and news intake. Not that you don't need that, but we want to be informed by the news. We want to be transformed by God's Word. And so I heard it put this way from Mark Batterson. When you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. 
And so what we're asking you to do is open your Bibles over the next several months here uh, to be able to allow God to speak to you. So let's look at the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, page 1001. If you're using the Bible in the seat pockets in front of you, I'll give you a moment to find that. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. So Mark makes one comment, and what we're about to look at is his one comment of his opinion, and then all the rest is his take of what Peter had to say. So here it is. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark wastes no time, as we look at this, of establishing the identity of his subject. In fact, he abruptly and bluntly bluntly calls Jesus the Christ. So when he says Christ, the word Christos was a Greek word meaning an anointed royal figure. It was another word for Messiah. And the word Messiah means the one who would come and administer God's rule on earth and rescue Israel from all its oppressors and troubles. So don't fly past this. Here's what he's saying. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, who is an anointed figure, the one who would come and administer God's role on earth and rescue Israel from all the oppressors and troubles. Wow. That is an amazing statement, but he doesn't stop there. He says, the son of God. So he's saying he's just not a king. He is The king, the word son of God means it's a claim of outright divinity. So as we work work our way through the book of Mark, he's immediately saying here is who Jesus is. He is an anointed royal figure, the one who would come and administer God's rule on earth and rescue Israel from all its oppressors and troubles. And that's not all. He is outright divine. He doesn't stop there. He says in the beginning of the gospel... Chances are that Mark was the very first uh, of all the Gospels being written. And so if that is the case, which most theologians and scholars believe the book of Mark is first written, is this would be the first use of the word gospel. And the word literally means the good news or the good message. So here it is. The beginning of the good news and the amazing great message is about Jesus, who is an anointed figure, who is the one who would come and administer God's rule on earth and rescue Israel from all its oppressors and troubles, who is the outright divine. Wow. It's literally saying that Jesus is enough. And I don't know what season you're in, but we could just stop right at this point, and Brett, coming back to old school, I have some old school for you, you guys here. This is what I learned in vacation Bible school. My God is so big, so mighty and strong, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so mighty, so strong, there's nothing my God cannot do. We're done for today. Actually, we could be, but then you'd know I'm capable of doing a short message. Of course, they always say you want to leave them wanting more. 
Not in my case. <laughs> Think about this. Don't put limitations on a limitless God because your God is so big, so mighty, so strong. There's nothing your God cannot do. So whatever you are faced with, whatever season you're in and feeling overwhelmed and thinking, I don't know what is the next step for me to take. My God is so big, so mighty, so strong. There's nothing my God cannot do. And you're basing it not on the latest thinking. You're basing it on the proven, inerrant word of God in just verse 1 alone. So impossible is where God starts. So we want to never see our difficulty in light of what we don't have. We want to see our difficulty in light of who we have. God's redemptive control. When you put your hope and trust in Jesus, it's God's redemptive control. Okay, we'll be reading through the book of Mark, but as an intro, I want to take you to Mark 9, page 1011. Quickly look at that, Mark 9. This is probably the best example of who Jesus is in the book of Mark. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. The deed of Jesus breaks through his humanity, and it is undeniably visible about the glory of God. We get to see a sneak peek of what it's going to be like. So here he is. His clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Look at verse 4. And then there appeared to them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Okay, here's the clue bell. Who do people say to him? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? So not only is Jesus transfigured, but Elijah and Moses, who've been deceased a long time, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. But they're all... All their message was always pointing to the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would overcome and administer God's rule on earth and rescue Israel from all oppressors and troubles, a claim of outright divinity. They are pointing, the, the, whole, uh, the whole issue of the Old Testament is pointing to the coming Messiah. And Peter is, is, is right there, gets to see this. Now, as you know, Peter, known for the person who had the shortest distance between his brain and his mouth, felt compelled to say whatever comes into his mind. Verse 5, Peter says, "Uh, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. How about don't say anything? (laughs) But he felt compelled. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. When you open your Bible, the God speaks. This is my son, the Messiah, the one who's, who has been prophesied to come, has come, and that he's so big, so mighty, so strong, there's nothing our God cannot do. So, Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, this is huge, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So this is not Mount Sinai all over again. No, because Moses reflected the glory of God. 
Elijah reflected the glory of God, Jesus produces, Jesus is the unsurpassable glory of God. It emanates from him. He is the glory of God. Listen to him. Jesus doesn't point to the glory of God as Elijah and Moses and every other prophet has done. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. So how do we know this? Let me just, you can just jot this passage down, look at it later. Hebrews 1 verse 3, the author of the book Hebrews puts it this way. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And he's the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification, after he paid the debt in total for our sins, he sat down at the right hand in the majesty in heaven. Three words. These are the probably for me today, these are the biggest three words. He sat down. He sat down. In other words, everything that needed to be done was done. Jesus could stop. He did what the Old Testament prophets and, and priests could never stop doing. The Old Testament priests were called to sacrifice for ongoing sins. And here's how Tim Keller puts it. They were exhausted. The priests were exhausted and knee-deep in blood. They offered sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, day after day after day for the people's sins. If we viewed the scene, we would find it nauseating. It wasn't just the daily offerings, but dozens of daily, weekly, and seasonal sacrifices offered according to the religious calendar. Thousands of animals would be slaughtered every year, yet it was never enough. Before one layer of blood dried, more was sprinkled, and the stench of burning flesh never abated. He ends it by saying this, The sacrificial labor was never permitted to stop because the power of sin was never broken and the penalty for sin was never fully paid for. Big problem. But Jesus is enough. Our God is so big, so mighty, so strong, there's nothing our God cannot do. Hebrews 1.3, After he provided payment in total, purifications, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down. He'd done everything that needed to be done. Absolute redemption has been delivered. God is satisfied. A practical hope stretching from now to us to eternity. He is enough. My God is so big, so mighty, so strong. There's nothing my God cannot do. Okay, something else happens. So you had this amazing event. They come down off the mountain and there's arguing going on. Shock of all shocks. There's arguing going on with other, other disciples and a few other priests that were around and some other people, 
And when they came to the other, verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and teachers of the law were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. They ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd asked, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it sees him, it throws him, into the ground, throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus replies, O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood. It's often thrown him into the fire or water trying to kill him. But here it is. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything. So sometimes we try to attempt doing godly things without the power of God, much like what the disciples tried. They wanted the results of faith without exercising faith. Jesus says, if you can, he said, everything is possible for him who believes Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. One of my favorite statements. We find one of the most honest prayers in the entire Bible. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. If you find yourself doubting God, I want to remind you, my God is so big, so mighty, so strong. There's nothing my God cannot do. Be honest with, the God, with God about your doubts and proceed in faith. So what would they look like? Let me give you several bulleted statements about faith, and you pick the one that speaks to your heart and screen, shoot it, shot it, shade it. Take a, take a picture of it. The critical factor in our faith is not its strength, but its object. My God is so big, so mighty, so strong. There's nothing my God cannot do. The object. Another one. There's no power in faith itself. The power is found in the object of the faith. Two more. Faith is believing the truth of God's word over the facts of our circumstances. And last, my faith isn't based on what I see. My faith is based on who God is. Why would we spend time in the book of Mark? Because it talks about how big and mighty and strong God is and why he came to about redemptive, redemption, redemptive grace. 
Faith is what transforms us from unbelieving believers into believing believers. So look at verse 25. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet and stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. In other words, we are inadequate without the power of God. He's enough. And you may feel like things are out of control or near dead around you. But that's leaving God out of the equation. He's enough. I'd ask you to respond. My God is so big, so mighty and strong. There's nothing my God cannot do. This week, we want you to open your Bible. Because when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. So through the book of Mark, one chapter a day, and just and don't rush through it. You may stop on verse 1. We could have done that easily. And then what does it say, and what is God saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? So let, don't be in a hurry. Slowly work your way through the book of Mark. If you want to go through Mark 1 in some detail all week long... Our Bible reading plan in uh, U version, we have that online as well. The Gospel of Mark, Part One, and it will take you through the Book of Mark an entire week, just Mark One. The other thing that I would ask all of you to do is to jot down BibleProject.com, BibleProject.com, and. There's a video section of Exploring Mark. Just type in in the search bar, Mark. And it's about a seven-minute overview of the book of Mark. They do a fantastic job of setting it up. I'd ask you to do that before you take any further reading of Mark. I want to show a video to you that, um, that maybe you saw this week. But let me set it up this way. A skeptic once asked God, why don't you do more about the suffering in your world? Why don't you do more about the suffering in your world? And God replied, I was just about to ask you the same question. I'm so proud of our Nuka family. We have taken on another refugee family uh, from the refugee resettlement, and we are doing something about the needs in Lancaster County, and it is a privilege to be a part of our church. And I want you to see the interview with our own Marty Norton, who's heading up our resettlement team. <laughs> 